listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. As leaders, we should create a culture based on our goals. And we look at something like organizational culture, how do we use that to positively impact the organization, to, to use it as a tool to say, let's do something here to make the organization better. We believe that the people who serve others over themselves, the givers and not the takers, are the ones that are gonna prosper in life. So we decided to put a symbol on the side of our building that says that, like this is who we are. I want an engaged culture. I want where people feel comfortable, where they can speak, share stories. I don't want it to be just monotonous on the slides. And I love doing that intentionally, not just falling into it haphazardly. The environmental triggers that we experience are some of the biggest factors that play into learning, that play into behavior, that play into a lot of things. If you, if you think and you're very self-aware that when you go into a store like, let's just say Macy's, versus when you go into a, a nightclub in Miami. Think about the way you would behave in these different environments. What's expected of you? Who are some of the people you're gonna interact with? What kind of conversations you're gonna have? It plays into our behaviors tremendously. And the same thing goes with organizations. If you step into an organization, and I'm sure you've experienced this, where the organizational environment is healthy, the factors there, it's bright, you see smiles, you see people who are dressed uh, professionally and appropriately, they greet you when you come in, that environment tends to elicit behaviors in you that are different than when you walk into a somewhat smelly, dingy, people aren't very nice, not a lot of people smiling type of environment. You're gonna behave differently yourself. So that, the environment is gonna be defined as internal aspects of the environment, general aspects of the environment, and really what would be external aspects of the environment in fostering a learning environment to be able to function better with people from different cultures. How do we use that to effectively manage a company? These are some heavy subjects, meaning heavy subjects means there's a lot of depth and breadth. So you think about the, globe, the organizational environment, organizational culture, the global environment. Organizational culture, there's whole studies and industries on things called organizational development, which has a lot to do with culture. When I say organizational environment, what does that mean? Define the organizational environment. So there's multiple factors. Like yes. if you think, when you think about the word environment, what do you think of? Yeah. It's all of the factors that contribute to the physical, emotional, you know, spiritual, mental well-being of this. What's, what's here, like in this environment of the classroom is different than the environment at your house in front of your computer. Just to take that one example, if you're managing or leading a team, it's probably a good idea that you separate the coalitions of people that tend to sit around and befriend and go out to lunch together all the time and try to get them to work with people that are different. Another thing is try to get people in a room in quiet areas to talk about a subject matter that's important. Try to get people when you have meetings that they start on time. Like, hey, we're going to start on time, so if you come in late, you know, here at this organization, we start our meetings on time. So, again, not to call anyone out, but literally these are little tactics that we use in, as managers, and it's all for a good reason. But the big differentiation is the environment versus the culture. What is organizational culture? What we believe shapes the way we act. If I believe I can teach a class about management, I'm going to act like I can teach a class about management. So values, beliefs, and there's another thing called norms. 
So they've established a norm of safety, not playing loud music. Yeah, respect towards one another, that's a very good norm. So where environment is almost more tangible, culture is more intangible, belief systems. The reality is environment factors in a lot into culture. So they work together very dynamically, but they're different to be able to control them in a sense. And a lot of times if you can play that game, sometimes you can, you can add a competitive advantage to you and your organization because you have the patience, because you have the bureaucratic knowledge. So that would be what we would call a tool to positively impact the organization. If we learn more about them, we learn how to utilize these tools, we can implement them into our organizations and be the savvy, shrewd managers and take our organization to the next level. These are the things we're hard-nosed on, and these are the things we allow. These are the things that are crossing the line and are not okay. These are the things that we permit. The question is, is the leader of the organization abiding to that same rule? Are, are the rules that are being established, the code of ethics, is it being followed by all? And then also, who established the code of ethics? And are they the right people to establish it? And then, of, of course, you know, is it being followed? Or what boundaries, what, what uh, guardrails are in place to not allow that kind of stuff. And we'll talk specifics so you guys can have takeaways and handles to use each one of these uh, to positively shape the organization as organizational managers. Make sure you look at some of the different ways that the leaders and the organization is embodying these different tools to better the company. Does this organization seem like an organization that produces quality people? It's just the delivery of the CEO and the way he talks about his organization and some of the ways he cares about his people, as managers, we, we should be on the cutting edge of this kind of stuff. And we could also use it, which is kind of odd, for a self-gratifying way. We can say, hey, look at us and look at what we're doing ethically with our corporate social responsibility and therefore buy from us. It's an intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation of why are we doing this corporate social responsibility initiative? Is it really to fulfill our personal business goals? Or is it really because we just believe this is the right thing to do and regardless of what it will contribute to our organization, we're gonna do it. So it's just a fun, it's a fun thing to talk about. There's no real right answer. But you can tell when certain companies are, are utilizing it for their own good versus, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do. Whether you approve of it or not, who cares? And I'll venture to say, a lot of the companies that market their social good are probably using it for their own benefit. The ones that, don't market it and just do it. Those are the ones that, you know, they're doing it because it's the right thing. The all outside elements that could affect the organization, we talk about task in general. It's important that you know the difference between task and general. So here you go, task, here are some examples. Customers, competitors, suppliers, labor markets. These are things that on a regular basis, these factors all affect the task environment within the organization. What are the customers doing? Who are the customers? Who are our competitors? Who's coming after our customers? Who are our suppliers? How, how are our suppliers affecting our business? And who, what's the labor market like? Are we hiring people at $10 an hour that work in Asia in manufacturing facilities? Or are we hiring consultants that are they're $150,000 a year just to bring them on board with us and we're managing those types of people? That, that affects our task environment. When we think about the physical nature of the environment that we talked about, is think about working for a, an organization that manufactures John Deere tractors. Picture that in your mind. Versus an organization that produces a language software. Rosetta Stone or Duolingo. Don't you think that those two environments would be a little bit different? Who are our customers? Who, who are the people that work here in this environment? 
who are the suppliers? How do we source materials at John Deere that are probably different? John Deere probably relies on a slew of different suppliers from all over the world. And it's mostly physical goods. The Duolingo people or the Rosetta Stone people probably source intellectual suppliers from India that these are more educated people that are putting together educational platforms as opposed to physical goods. The, the Duolingo and the Rosetta Stone suppliers would be more uh, intellectual property. Those would be maybe code writers or software engineers that we, as a business, we contract with them to supply us with software versus John Deere. Our suppliers would be gears, oil, machine parts. We'd have to purchase them, bring them to a central location and put the stuff together. It changes the way the business works. It goes with ethics, is how do we operate? We talked, I think, last time about Starbucks and how they source their coffee beans. The way in which they source them is a very ethical way, similar to how they say, we don't run sweatshops. We source them from local farmers. We don't cost cut. We want quality product. We're willing to pay them well so that they can sustain their family. But for people who run hen factories and chicken factories, they won't even buy eggs from a factory, a chicken or egg factory, that keeps the hens or chickens in a cage. They, they only want them to be out, you know, roaming around because it's very industrial, the way in which they produce these eggs. And there's animal activists, which we can debate about, but they're basically like, hey, these hen farmers and chicken farmers are bad. And so therefore companies are forced to respond to that kind of activism. So that sort of plays into ethics, it plays into the environment, it plays into a lot of stuff. But there's multiple examples out there. Internal is one of my favorites to talk about because it's what managers can control a little bit more. Let's talk about internal environment. We have the task environment, we have the internal environment. What's the internal environment? So we often, when we're in a high-paced, competitive business, a lot of times the external environment is where our mission is. Our mission is to serve customers. We want to serve what's happening on the external environment. So we want to gather our internal resources and we want to point all of our cannons in the same direction because the battle's out there. It's a good thing to think about. But a lot of times as managers, and I'm sure you see this in your own organizations, for whatever reason, there's these strikes and these battles happening internally where teams are pointing cannons at one another. This is what as managers, we have to be aware of this. We have to know that as leaders, we need to shape that internal environment and we need to refocus the cannons on the mission, on the goals, on the strategic initiatives of the company, that so that we can compete in the task environment, we could respond to the global environment, which we'll talk about. And this is why I like the frameworks, because it kind of adds everything in at once. But we make sure we manage what we can control most is that internal environment. Think about it, your employees. You're a manager of an organization. Do you have more control over your employees or your customers? Do you have more control over the culture within your own organization, or do you have more control on the social culture of your community? These are things we can control. There's a, a couple wise sayings out there that, like the serenity prayer is, God help me focus on the things that I can control and allow the things that I can't control to, you know, just give me peace not having to function in that area. So as managers, we have to think about that. So these are the things that when we first open up the business, we can choose, especially if we're operating in a global business structure, we can choose where we operate in the general environment or what industry we operate in. But once we're in that business, these, these are things that we can't control much of. So the technological aspect of the change, think about the taxi companies and what happened when Uber came out. That was an uncontrollable. There was some smarter, more well-developed software system happening over here, which pretty much depleted 
the entire industry of becoming a taxi cab driver. So those are those are general environment factors. You think about Amazon, what Amazon has done for grocery stores, and how Walmart and some of their their ways of, of doing business put Kmart and other companies, Sears, pretty much out of business. So the natural environment. What is the natural environment? Yeah. So the pollution. So would you rather do business in Center City, New York, or would you rather do business in Sun Valley, Idaho? It's just like this beauty scenic area that's preserved and it's more of a protected type of environment versus an environment that's unregulated, more capitalistic, somewhat polluted, tons of people. I mean, this is a natural environment. And, and how as, as managers, first of all, we can't really control it, but the reality is it impacts our business, the beauty of our area, the cleanliness of our city, the, the crime, and I'll never forget Every once in a while, we get people that are, they seem homeless or they're really this position, they're, they're, they're not in good shape, let's put it that way. And there was one gentleman that he was, man, he was not doing well. And he fell a couple times in the bushes right right outside of our property in the middle of the day. And of course, you know, we see this and we're like, hey man, what's going on? Can we call you a cab? Can we take you to the hospital? And this was, this was, this impeded on our ability to effectively operate as a business. It wasn't safe and it's something that we just needed to, Mitigate. So that, that this stuff happens too. So this is big in entrepreneurship because we talk a lot about selecting the industry that we operate in and the economic aspect of the future of artificial intelligence is a little bit more optimistic than the future of newspapers. The margins and the competition in newspapers and the uh, in, insignificance of newspapers five years from now is probably pretty high. Whereas the economic outlook for an industry like artificial intelligence is a little bit So it plays into our business. A lot with legal and political, international. So this is the gist of the purpose of studying the organizational environment. How all of these factors as managers, we need to understand them, and we need to be able to utilize some of these as tools to manage our organizations. And the international environment, potential of operating in a global environment and be open-minded to that kind of stuff. What's an ecosystem? Culture, nature, has anybody seen the movie Biodome? So they created a self-sustained ecosystem where they had people and plants and animals and it was growing prosperously and then the two people from Biodome came in and they corrupted the ecosystem. So an ecosystem is the combination, let's see if it was a plan, systems formed by the interaction among a community of organizations in the environment. So it's everything. There's a lot of things that play into an ecosystem. It could be the students, it could be the teachers, it could be the faculty, it could be the administrators, the security officers, the technology people. It's, it's a whole slew of different things that all come together that create a learning environment, an ecosystem. When we come into this ecosystem, we prosper. That's what they want. They want you to feel safe here. They want you to feel protected, cared for. They created intentionally this ecosystem for you guys. And they're managers of businesses. So that term ecosystem is being used a lot more now. So environmental uncertainty. Anybody that's been a part of a, a business where they've had layoffs or if you've been a part of an organization that couldn't compete anymore due to a political stance or just think about COVID. Uh, environmental uncertainty is a real thing. Managers do not have sufficient information about environment factors to understand and predict environmental needs prior to being deemed an essential company to be able to communicate with my staff during COVID. So how was I supposed to send a message out to my team about their safety at work and whether or not they were going to have a job and whether or not we're going to still be able to work in the first two weeks of, of the shutdown. It was hard. 
I didn't have all the answers. I was uncertain. And then I had to wait for the political system and the environment to provide me with information to disseminate it with a decision with my team. And, and thank God we were deemed a essential organization and we not never not once had to lay anyone off. And we actually paid overtime and paid more wages and grew during that particular time. Whereas certain companies that didn't happen. It was uncertain. And still to this day, I use COVID as a relevant example, but there's a, a slew of other things that could be going on right now in the environment that companies can't control. There's uncertainty. And so if you think about this for a second, as managers, if we're really good at this, really, really good. We have the best team, best managerial skills, we've got the best culture. But something like that just happened here, it's going to negatively impact. It doesn't matter how good we are. So we, the, the purpose of saying that is to equip ourselves for the reality of what management is like. Uncontrollables, environmental uncertainty, it's good to know that. Number of factors in organizational environment. This could be number of people, the, the type of business they're in, the amount of customers they have, the dynamics of technology. You think about energy is sort of there's less factors affected because there's less competition. Rate of change in factors in the environment. Energy is probably pretty low, whereas internet technology is probably pretty high. You just think about industries that move slower, that's more predictable, government, probably less changes going on. And there's probably less factors that impact their day-to-day -day lives. Like if you're a, a tax accountant that works for the government, there's a high that department is pretty safe from what would be considered external environmental uncertainty. Versus if you work for a startup in Silicon Valley that is commercializing, and Vivo is a company that comes to mind of uh, virtual reality games. Is that more um, uncertain? Could a major competitor come out and just disrupt that space and breach from them? Do they have to adapt quickly to the different changes in the rate of change in factors in the environment? Could a new technology come out that allows the creation of a different kind of software that they need to implement right away to make their game better? Yeah. Think about Twitter just got purchased by Elon Musk. Like there's all sorts of uncertainty around what's going to happen. What's going to uh, is the software team going to get all laid off because we suck, or are we going to hire more employees? That space is a little bit more ambiguous. So that just gives you an example of the low uncertainty versus high uncertainty. And certainly in high uncertainty environments, this, this word adapt, which is a great word, now it's being brought into this word called pivot. That's it's been a more of a coined phrase in the last however many years. I like adapt better. But in those high uncertainty environments, it's, it's where need, we need to adapt. Some people don't like to adapt. They don't like to change. They like their routine. Versus some people like to adapt and they like to change. Your organization, if you choose an organization that's operating here, you better get used to adapting. Because if you don't, what happens as managers? You just lose. You get the competition in the environment just varies. Whereas in certain other environments, it's easier to adapt. Let me intervene and, and, and put something into play here that I know works. And then I want to sort of not study, but, but see how it changes the culture. Or we can do an intervention on cost efficiency and we can say let's do away with these boards let's turn the lights down a little bit but that's an intervention right it, and it impacts culture it impacts how the company is perceived how the people act how, what we value our beliefs we value money we value efficiency versus we value a learning environment we value a place where we want to try new things to get people to learn more effectively so these things are interventions that managers put into the organization to change the culture. Hiking together as a team, symbols, stories, heroes, slogans, ceremonies. How about heroes? 
Do you think they have a hero or somebody that sort of embodies a lot of the values of that company? The CEO, he's a founder. He's a founder and he seems to be a person that really champions these kinds of efforts. Symbols, well, what is, what is an example of a symbol? Object, act, or event that conveys meaning to others. Do you think that's meaningful for people when they come into work every day and they see that? Yeah, and it, it sort of embodies, like in our organization, we believe in service to others. We believe that the people who serve others over themselves, the givers and not the takers, are the ones that are going to prosper in life. So we decided to put a symbol on the side of our building that says that, like this is who we are. And then the American flag also is a symbol too, of patriotism and freedom. You know, they, these are, as managers, these are things that can that can change the culture of an organization. It may not, it may not seem to add immediate value, but over time it creates a culture. Uh, these are these are national symbols that people care a lot about, and they shape the culture of an organization. Slogan, phrase, or sentence that succinctly expresses a key corporate value. How about Burger King? Habit. What are they expressing in that slogan? Customization. Where McDonald's says, no, this is how our meals, and Burger King says, hey, if you want it like that, I'll, I'll, I'll make it like that. You can piecemeal these things together. Have it your way. So it's amazing how we remember these slogans. And it says something not just for the external customers, but for the internal employees too. They're forced to see it all the time. So it just kind of shows the, the value system of the organization and how they care about themselves and their growth or how they care about the community and you know, certain kinds of values. It's a, it's a cool, cliche way to express something that's important to you as an organization. And not all organizations have slogans, nor do you need one. But again, this goes back to the managerial toolkit that we have that we can pull out a tool and say, you know what, slogan. Even if you have a meeting, you can have a Wednesday meeting with a slogan of, it's coffee time. That's your slogan. Brand and create a culture within that meeting alone. And practice doing that for your meetings. Even uh, at my house, my wife and I have a slogan that we say, no for now, but not forever. Meaning we, we're busy. She's working. I'm working. We got babies. We want to go to that Thursday night dinner with our friends. We just, no for now, but not forever. I mean, we're saying no to a slew of different things. And it's a fun slogan because we're saying in this season of our life, we're focusing on this kind of stuff versus this kind of stuff. And it helps us get through those tough decisions where we really want to, but we're just like, it adds, it adds humor and peace. And we look at each other and we have a better culture. I love corporate culture. Forget about corporate. I love creating and manifesting culture. This is one of my favorite things to do as a leader. I want an engaged culture. I want where people feel comfortable, where they can speak, share stories. I don't want it to be just monotonous on the slides. And I love doing that intentionally, not just falling into it haphazardly. A ceremony, planned activities at a special event that is conducted for the benefit of an audience. Birthday parties, we talked a little bit about that here. Uh, Thanksgiving Day turkeys, these are things that we do. We have a holiday party every year. They're meaningful. Pizza parties. Or some organizations go to sporting events. I heard someone say K1 Speedway. I, I was there with my dog. That's fun. And that can create real camaraderie amongst the teams. Okay, so there's four types of cultures. We have an adaptability culture, an achievement culture, a consistency culture, and an involvement culture. On the top, we have needs of the environment. On the side, we have strategic focus, internal needs, and flexible, we have involvement culture. An involvement culture, internally focused, values meeting the needs of employees as well as cooperation and equality. This is the culture that I was fostering at uh, the organization that I led. And I like this culture. I want to be a part of a culture like this. Let's look at adaptability culture. We talk a lot about the technology-based organizations. 
flexibility and the external needs strategic focus is more on the external needs and not the internal needs of our staff. How are we going to compete? Who are the suppliers we're going to uh, mess with? Who are our customers? Let's focus very much externally. Adaptability culture is highly responsive, values the ability to rapidly detect, interpret, and translate signals from the environment into the new behaviors. As leaders, we should create a culture based on our goals. I know it's great that we say, oh, okay, we want an internal culture and we love you, love you kind of stuff, but that may not work when it comes to the Navy SEALs, or that may not work when it comes to uh, working for a rapid, high-paced startup in, I'll just say Silicon Valley so you can understand the reference. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I guess great. You know, I'm so happy you're a nice guy, but what did you produce today that's going to help us uh, get that, that product to market before our competitors? I'm not saying that you should create create a culture that is bad, but understand that the culture that you create as managers should fit with the goals of the organization, strategic goals. And let's talk about the next culture, which is very common, especially in the United States, achievement culture. And achievement culture, result-oriented values, competitiveness, aggressiveness, personal initiative, cost-cutting, and willingness to work long and hard to achieve results. Well, you guys, so give me an example of some of the things you would do in that organization that sort of played into that. Daily KPIs, perfect example. Brevity, you guys understand that. Like every day you must do 16 TPS reports or you suck, you know, or you're, you're gonna, you can't go home or you're gonna get fired if you don't do it. You know, it's just very clear achievement oriented culture. You know, if you've ever worked for an organization that has like a, a leaderboard or a sales organization that every week they put out like top salesperson, these are achievement based cultures. And a lot of people do well in those kind of cultures. A lot of people don't. But again, as managers, not only do we need to pick the culture that we that adapts to the environment. So again, back to not to be too wordy, but our culture must play into our goals. Whereas if you work in, um, I'm trying to think of, of what needs to be competitive. You know, not, not really banking, but private equity. You know, you're handling other people's money; they want returns. Very much achievement based. Can't really focus too much on the internal. We have to focus on the results, or we're not going to we're not going to get more investors for our business. Versus uh, healthcare, internal, the health, the employee engagement, our nurses, our physicians need to be happy and patient oriented. We're going to do certain things here that <coughs> might make more sense to have that internal culture kind of thing. Again, pick the culture as managers, where you want to go manage is what I'm trying to say. But then also you have to realize that once you pick that culture, you may need to shift it depending on the strategic goals of the organization. How do you respond to organizational cultures within some of the places that you go? So there, there's a, again, there's a physical, when people eat with their hands, it might be strange. When they sit on the floor instead of a chair, it might be strange. But when we think about culture, we're thinking about values, beliefs, and norms. So a lot of that is intangible. So I know from visiting friends' homes that are from different cultures that my friends want to make me feel comfortable. So they will very much so explain what it is that they do, and they'll kind of talk about the backstory, and they'll explain some of the traditions and some of the beliefs, which makes me feel comfortable. So they value guests, they value unity, they value things like explanation, education, togetherness, and I can feel that at times. Even though there might be some things that are different, when I understand their, their, the culture that they've created in their house, it makes me feel comfortable with what is typically not comfortable. That's when you can really see a good corporate culture manifest itself. When they do something weird, reproduce insects. People have bee 
hives. What were they? The bee, the beekeepers, right? They have a house, or they might have a company in the back of their house. They have ten employees, and they invite you over for a visit. This is going to be great, right? Awesome. Can't wait to go hang out with a bunch of bees. But really, when you get there, they're like, "Hey, listen, we understand this is going to be awkward for you. We know that it's, it's sometimes people are afraid of bees." But before we go back there and put the suit on, let me just explain to you what's going on. Let me introduce you to my wife here. Have some coffee with some honey in it. <laughs> kind of funny. And prior to going back there, we're going to make sure you're suited up, that you're 100% safe. There's really zero chance that these bees are going to sting you. I'm going to be with you the whole time. This is this is a great. This is an area where their culture has been developed, where they really <coughs> care about this kind of stuff. And they tell you about the purpose of the bees and how. They help the environment and what they do for the population. I'm ready to go. I'm, I can't wait to go into these beeps because they've created this, this belief system, these norms and what they do with people outside of Bergman versus I'm sure how you can experience that in a totally horrible way because the owners or the leaders or managers throw you right in and oh, I'll never forget. I went skydiving. She wanted me to come skydiving. And I could sense that the guy, this is so awkward, that I was attached to, that I was skydiving with, had a crush on the girl I brought in. He was not happy that I was the one that had to, to do tandem with him. He wanted to do tandem with the other one. And I could sense that the whole time. And I was jumping out of a plane with this man. He didn't treat me well. He wasn't nice to me. He wasn't happy to be there. It was a horrible experience. I'll never forget it. Horrible culture. We'll never go back to that skydiving place. Terrible experience. Where it could have been totally different. It, it just goes to show you how you as leaders and managers of an environment, you know, we value competitiveness. We value winning. We value things that aren't unethical, but they're not great culturally. They don't entice people to come and want to be on the fuzzy with you. So corporate culture plays a key role in the climate that enables learning and innovation responses to situations and challenging new opportunities organizational crisis. When Hurricane Irma hit, we had such a tight internal culture that the very next day, we had people showing up to work with chainsaws across all boundaries of the organization, managers, uh, leaders. We set up a, a operational facility in Florida City that was different. We asked people prior to the hurricane that needed a place to stay that they felt uncomfortable, that worked for our organization, that they're welcome to stay in our facility that night. We created a togetherness thing so that when crisis hit, you better believe we were ready to go. We said, where, where can I serve? What can I do? So what I'm trying to make there is when you create a good internal culture, you can respond better to external threats. So think about a football team that goes to a, a difficult place to play a difficult game in front of an away crowd that gets together and it doesn't phase that football. Because they know that my, my friend over here, my fellow football player, my athlete that is also fighting. He's got my back. We've done this before. We have a great internal culture and we're ready to battle. It doesn't, it doesn't phase them one bit. Meaning, you know, even if there's 50,000 people cheering against them, they can still win a game. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? When the leader gets better, everyone gets better. It's a great phrase. It's a slogan that you can live by. And knowing that when you have a good cultural leader, Someone that has ethics, someone that's trustworthy, someone that's smart, someone that believes in personal development, someone that is a giver and not a taker. It makes a profound impact on an organization. You will be in a position where you're in leadership or management, and you know how to lead out of your cultural beliefs 
your moral beliefs are either rooted in a greater than yourself kind of perspective, meaning I care about something other than just me and my personal uh, gain. So that's, that's what's so powerful about these cultural leaders. What is also the antithesis of what I just mentioned is that sometimes cultural leaders can have the opposite effect on an organization. I've worked with organizations in the past that have had very smart people, but they were not authentic, they were not real, and they were dry personalities. I, I didn't want to work for them. They were really good at what they did, but they were not great cultural leaders. They didn't foster a spirit of eagerness inside of me. And so be aware of the people around you that give you the momentum of, man, I just want to work for this person. And work for that person. And then manifest some of those own things that you believe are be the leader you've always wanted to work for. And manifest that kind of stuff in your own sphere of influence. Having one person work for you, you have the power, you have the ability, you have the influence to change that person's day, to change that person's life, to create a culture of collaboration or achievement, to help foster positive behaviors in them, to help correct poor behaviors. It's a powerful concept. So that's why being a manager, being a cultural leader, I believe is, is one of the core takeaways from this. Does anybody doubt that as a manager or a leader that we have control over our culture? Unequivocally obvious that we do, yet sometimes it takes a long time to change a culture because culture can be rooted. If you think about the bottom of the iceberg versus the tip of the iceberg, you come in and you might be chipping away at the tip with some initiatives and all that kind of stuff, but there has been a long-standing tradition of laziness embedded into that culture, where as a leader and as a manager, it's going to take you a while to get down to that bottom of the iceberg and fix what you know needs to be fixed. So be aware of that as well, that you're not going to come in and because you have some great you know, 10 initiatives to create positivity. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen in the next two months. It might take six months. It might take six years to create that. But stay consistent <laughs> because it will happen. And you do have influence over the culture of an organization as managers and as leaders. But there's a lot of other factors too that go along with it.